welcome to the Remind Podcast, a podcast where we bring our mind into our apprenticeship to Jesus, because a mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. My name is Kyle. I get to pastor a church called Regeneration in Northeast Ohio. My buddy Zach and I are going to host this podcast where we'll discuss topics in culture and theology and scripture. Hosting this podcast together has been a bit of a dream of ours, and we're so excited to be getting started. So we hope you love today's episode as you listen. Peace. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the third episode of the Remind podcast. I'm Kyle, and I'm back with my buddy, Zach. Hey, I'm Zach. There he is. And (laughs) we are glad to be doing this together again. We took a break for Easter so that we could, uh, well, so I could do all the content development that I need to do during that time. And we're going to continue the Easter conversation a little bit here today by unpacking the resurrection. And by today, I mean in this episode and probably the next couple episodes, thinking through what does the resurrection mean? How do we know it's real? Um, My sermon from Easter Sunday was uh, from the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So we're celebrating on Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. But what does that mean? How do I know it's true? Um, And remember, the point of this podcast is to be engaging our minds in our apprenticeship to Jesus. And so that's kind of our hope. And we've gotten a lot of really good feedback to this point and some text messages and some good listens. And so hoping we can kind of keep your approval coming with this podcast on resurrection. Yeah? Yeah, I'm on board with it. All right, cool beans. So, Zach, talk to me about the resurrection. Like, your brain has been going to town on some of the dynamics of this that maybe I don't get to think about or preach about all the time. It's kind of like under the hood of what I'm thinking about and preaching about, but you're coming at it with some fresh angles. So, talk to us a little bit about what you've been thinking about as it relates to the resurrection and what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, when I mean, first of all, the resurrection for Christianity is it's the central piece of the entire religion. And I think it's just so interesting how Christianity sets itself up to be, to sit on like um, the, like a hairpin trigger, you know, like if you can take down the resurrection, if you can find a different, different explanation for what happened to Jesus um, on, on that day in history, then the, everything else after it falls, Jesus just becomes as, as C.S. Lewis kind of talks about, he's either, it's the trilemma. He's either, he's either a liar, a lunatic or Lord. Okay. And, 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 and that trilemma hinges on the, on the resurrection. So, and that's just so unique. And I think there's many, you know, many skeptics, atheists, whatever, over the centuries that have come to uh, believe in Christianity and convert to Christianity. Once they started to dive into the, research and the the evidence will say the evidence 
for the resurrection versus the evidence against the resurrection. So I, I, I do want to make like something clear at the outset. When we're talking about the evidence for the resurrection, um, while it is very good, we always have to keep it in, like, you always have to contrast against the evidence against the resurrection, and we have to come to a, a, a sensible or a reasonable belief off that. So that, like, this evidence doesn't take away the need for faith in this, um, because all of these things happened in history, and they're things that we're always going to get this, you know, generations removed from the original events. But I think that God has provided us with, with great evidence over the years so that we can look at the resurrection, not just say like, well, the Bible says it, I believe it. But we can actually look at the resurrection using different scientific understandings, like how we look through history, um, different, different methods of determining how the, how the, the stories through the Gospels were, were given. Um, mm -hmm. We can you look at those and say, wow, this actually is really good, solid evidence. I can actually have a reasonable faith, not just one that is is based on, you know, just because the Bible said it. So you're kind of saying a couple interesting things there. One being that all the evidence in the world and agreeing with that evidence does not make a person a follower of Jesus without faith. Like we're just agreeing to some facts. So we need a faith aspect. But what you're also saying is that our faith can be increased and strengthened when we have this realization that the most central part of our faith, like the bottom Jenga piece, mm. actually has historical, validatable ways of thinking about it that can encourage us, right? One, yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, and, and Christian and non-Christian scholars would agree on the majority, if not like a high, a very high majority of all of everything that's out there because it is so based in history. Hmm. And again, I just want to reiterate just how that is so unique hmm. to the Christian faith. And it's, it's that, the, that, that fact that we can look into history and see these things is, is unlike, uh, is unlike any other uh, ideology. Okay. So our hope is then to kind of begin to unpack some of these evidences for the resurrection for two reasons. One, some of you are new to following Jesus or new to church, or you've been a Christian for a long time and you've never given much thought to the idea of resurrection other than it happened. And so we want to encourage uh, and stir up your faith that this is something like deep and meaningful that you can kind of chew on. We also, though, want to equip you because we're going to assume that you're being asked questions about the way of Jesus. We're going to assume that your family and your friends are asking questions about what this looks like. And so we want to provide you with some ways to think about this to fill your mind with some truth so that you can experience your faith in a more real way. So, Zach, talk to me about tell me about some of these evidences for the resurrection and how do I know these things are true? Yeah. And I, I just want to add a small piece onto what you were saying right there, you know, cause I've, again, I've been a Christian for only a short period of time. So, but growing up, I had the, the identity of being a Christian without mm. fully understanding or knowing what I was saying. Yeah. And to me, that was one of the things that drew me away from the faith. Like as I got, you know, um, as I graduated high school and moved into my college years is because like I just believed things just because I, I would go to church with my friends and you know 
um, my friend's parents would pray over us and it seemed like the right thing to do. That's what everybody was in, in the mm -hmm. United States apparently as a Christian, as far as I knew. Yeah. And, um, and, the, and as I got older, that just didn't make any sense. I didn't have any foundational understanding. I remember saying to people, it was like, yeah, all I know is that Jesus died for us. I don't know why he died for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's it. That's as far as my, my understanding about the cross and the resurrection went. And that's just, that doesn't do it just like that. That doesn't do justice to what happened on that day. One of the things, what I wanted to introduce today was an acronym for defending the resurrection. Um, and this is this is something that came about by a guy named Mickey Badalamenti and another a Christian apologist named Abdu Murray. So Mickey Badalamenti, I'm not sure where he did his work at, but Abdu Murray is a, I'm not sure what his title would be, but he works with Ravi Zacharias um, Institute which is all over the world, but I think their central headquarters is in Atlanta, Georgia. But these two guys, they came, they, they put together this perfect uh, acronym. I love acronyms. You know, I own a gym called Byler Elite Strength Training. So, it, you know, B-E-S-T. And these guys put together an acronym that stands for, it says CASE. Okay. And the C in CASE stands for crucifixion. The A stands for appearances. The S stands for skeptics converted and the E stands for empty tomb. And I think all of the evidence is not all of them, but a vast majority of the evidences, or at least the evidence for the resurrections that really pack the most punch can be just put into this nice little acronym case. Okay. So that's where I, I mean, that's what I would, I would like to say. Yeah. Can you take us kind of piece by piece through each of those? So crucifixion appearances, skeptics converted, Empty Tomb, talk to me a little bit about each of those pieces. Yeah, <clears throat> so for the crucifixion, this is essentially saying that Jesus died. That this is what we're, what we're asserting when we're taking the C in that acronym is that uh, Jesus, in fact, went up on a cross, w was killed, was buried, you know, give, given to Joseph, Ar uh, uh, Joseph Arimathea, right? Is that how mm -hmm. I say his last name? Yeah. And he was buried in his tomb, and that is a historical fact. Now, there's about 1.5 billion people in the world or something. I don't know. We can Google search that. Don't quote me on that number. But a lot of people um, called Muslims that would, that would actually disagree with that fact. And they're the only people in the world uh, that, despite the historical evidence for Jesus' death, would, would say that he didn't die. And oh, wow. That, okay. Yes, that's that's really interesting. But um, but there's a big reason, because if he died, then you have to go down the rest of the rest of the acronym. If he died, where these how do you explain appearances? Uh, if he died, how do you ex explain skeptics like Joseph, um, like James and Paul being converted to this? Okay. How do you explain an empty tomb? Yeah. If he died, how do you explain the empty tomb? Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that, you get these ideas like the swoon theory. You get ideas like, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't Jesus up there on the cross. Somehow they switched him out, and it was. I think they I think they claimed that it was like Judas up there on the cross. Oh, interesting. Um, and so, so when when you start to look into that, 
what you find, like, first of all, it doesn't make logical sense. The, the issue that you have with Jesus not being up on the cross is now we're saying that the Roman soldiers that were charged with, this was their job mm-hmm. to go out and make sure that this, that these three people that were on these crosses, it wasn't just Jesus, it was the two um, criminals. They had to make sure that those were, those people were dead. That was their job. And if they, if they weren't dead, then those Roman soldiers would, would pay the, the repercussions for that. Okay. So um, there's other things that will factor into this too. Like this, this can, like that idea, the fact of Jesus not being dead, um, let's assume that he wasn't. And they, you know, he was like, I don't know, uh, in shock or something like that. And they right. put him in a tomb. And somehow this person that had been hanging on a cross for who knows how long had been stabbed into the side. Open wounds open wounds blood all over the place like he had been tortured all before and this is one of the reasons the roman soldiers didn't have to break his legs as they do everybody else on the cross yeah because when they break their legs it quickens the 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 asphyxiation which is what causes the death on the cross right um they didn't have to do that to jesus because um i'm sorry can you hear the dog barking i can we're just living real life this is zoom world here it is so um, they didn't have to break Jesus' legs because he had been tortured and brutalized so much before that. He was, he was dead. He was, it was a quick, quick death um, for him. Uh, excruciating, but quick. But so instead of breaking his legs, they just jabbed him through the side with whatever they jabbed people with back then. Yeah. Uh, so imagine all of that happened. To You're smiling a lot in this part, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but because it, it's just ridiculous to assume that this person wouldn't be dead. But what's even more ridiculous would be the next appearances. Um, so somehow this this broken, almost dead person will will grant somebody somehow rolls a massive stone out of the way. Yeah, flips by the Roman guard that right. that is supposed to be watching over that because right. they're you know, they're sent to be there because um, you know the, the Jewish high priests are worried about something riots. Yeah. So, and then we would have to assume that this hobbling jesus this uh shows up at his disciples doors knocking and he's he's somehow we're we're made to believe that this person that would just look like hell on earth yeah is now looked at as divine by his disciples right 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 like these disciples look at him and they're like wow this is amazing like no they'd be like oh my gosh we got to get this guy to a medic so we can so that we can get our our messiah back or something you know yeah. And that's not what happened. He showed up. Yeah, I think he walked through the door, didn't he? Yeah. 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 Not only did they not open up the door, the appearances say that Jesus walked through the door. He was just like in their midst all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. And and he was he was kind of this glorified divine Jesus, not the partially dead Jesus. Right. So that's the crucifixion. I mean, there's more things. I I would say this. There's a there's a skeptic. His name's Gerd Ludemann. And um, he's one of the major proponents of the idea that uh, that the disciples hallucinated their visions. Oh, interesting. Okay. So he's one of the major proponents of that. Gerd Ludemann says that Jesus's death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable, which would yeah. lead to his idea that, oh, well, if that's indisputable, well, now he's got to come up with a naturalistic framework for how they saw him. So right. that's how he gets to his hallucinations. I mean, really what we're kind of doing to is it feels like we're slow playing the events 
that we just kind of take for granted when we get to Easter Sunday preaching and like Easter Sunday singing, which is like, Jesus is alive. Yeah. But when you start to slow play it and think about all of the possible ways that this could not be, and you start talking about it like you just did, like what, like broken, battered, brutalized Jesus somehow manages to roll the stone away, slip between two Roman guards, knock on the door. Like it starts to sound ridiculous, right? Like there's, it starts to just really focus in the, convert, the, the, it starts to focus in on like, there really is only one thing that really could have happened here. Well, yeah, and, and so that's actually a good tee up for the appearances conversation. I mean, the, the clear place to start with, with for the appearances is first, Corinthians 15, three through eight. Um, and what we know about first Corinthians chapter 15, three through eight is that it is a, uh, one of the original creeds that cr early Christians were passing around after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When it, when it comes to this creed in, in, in first Corinthians chapter 15, you know, some scholars would say that this creed can be traced back to within months, like within 18 months of the original events. Wow. Okay. So, you know, but just to be safe, you know, if we look at, um, what is it? Galatians 1, 2, there it is. So it's in Galatians 1, 18 and Galatians 2, 1, 2. This is where you have Paul going to speak with Peter and I think it's James. Mm-hmm. Peter and James and you know the, the question is what do you think that they were talking about then so let's slow down that play a little bit because what we have is in Galatians chapters 1 and 2 Paul is offering an autobiography of how he comes to be in the position of an apostle and leader within the early church right and so Paul has, is this interesting outlier in the book of Acts who previously named Saul, a Jew of Jews, known to be notorious for persecuting Christians, has an encounter with the risen Jesus on a road and starts preaching Jesus, right? And is being used pretty powerfully by, by the Lord. And so eventually makes his way to Jerusalem to kind of present himself before Peter and James, who are like the leaders of the early church, to kind of have his credentials validated, right? Here's this guy that like a minute ago was trying to kill all of us, who is now preaching. Who is this guy? What is he like? And what you're articulating is this creed, which we should also explain what creeds are, Um that this creed in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 8 is kind of the summary of the conversation that Peter and James and Paul have as they're in the process of kind of formulating their theology of what they're experiencing. Um, yeah. And a creed is a short formula or a short distillation of everything that we believe about something in a way that is easily handed down verbally and orally and in writing. So creeds are um, like these boiled down centralized statements of this is what we believe, but they also have this kind of tone to them where they're readable and recitable and memorable. And we see a few of these throughout the New Testament, Philippians chapter two, there's one of them. 
But 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, Paul cites this creed to kind of make some points about the resurrection. I'm just going to read it just so before we kind of keep pressing into it. I'm reading it out of the English Standard Version. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles. So that's that's the question. Like, so we've got the crucifixion. If we can somehow get to the to the bottom of how everybody in the entire world except the Islamic faith believes that Jesus Christ was died and buried. So if we can get past that, then we have to then then we can then we can kind of hinge our argument on this is probably the biggest argument is like the appearances of Jesus Christ they weren't just let me just read some some comments from some non-christians just to kind of make my point here okay. uh, Rudolf Bull, who is an atheist this is what he says that historical criticism establishes as fact that the early disciples believed they saw Jesus alive again Hmm. Uh, Gerd Ludeman, again, another, you know, atheist. He, he's, a, he's a New Testament scholar, but he was also an atheist. Um, it may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences of Jesus's death in which he appeared to them as the risen Christ. Now, just knowing, just reading that, I just know like a little bit about Gerd Ludeman and how that sentence even is going to be followed up by like how he sets up his, his um, hallucinations. Okay. But, you know, but it's just, but he, he is acknowledging that these people 100% believe that they saw a living, breathing Jesus Christ, like after, after he death. had died. Yeah. Yeah. And then Paula Fredrickson uh, is the disciples conviction, the disciples' conviction that they have seen the risen Christ are facts known past doubting mm-hmm. facts known past doubting. There's no doubt that this is a fact that Jesus, that his disciples claimed and fully coherently believed that they saw Jesus alive. And then she further, uh, going further, she says, all the historical evidence confirms that they must have seen something. Hmm. So when, when we present that evidence to somebody, we present that, that truth claim to somebody, they, somebody has to be able to explain why it is that these people saw what they saw. And I think, you know, a, a, a common rebuttal to that would be like, oh, okay, well, people, people think that they see stuff all the time and go and, and die for their faith, mm. but, or they believe, they believe something so much they, that they go and die for their faith. And the thing that we have to remember about these disciples, the original disciples, is that they weren't convinced of Jesus Christ being alive by somebody else. They were convinced by Jesus Christ revealing themselves. Like that's the difference. There's other cult leaders that have made, that have managed to um, make thousands of people believe or a large group of people believe that the end of the times was coming and that they should commit suicide or, mm-hmm. you know, or people should um, go and blow something up because they think that God's going to have favor on them for something like that. Yeah. None of those people can say that they've had an actual interaction with the God or the being 
physically, where they touched him, ate with him on multiple occasions, a God who appeared to 500 people at once, where uh, Paul says that, that most of those people are even still living and you can go, you can go talk to them. So it's, it's just the, the unique thing that I'm trying to get across about the appearances in that creed is that Christianity hangs its enti- the entire religion on that creed. Hmm. The entire religion hangs on that creed. And, um, and the fact that it can be traced back hmm. to within months of its creation smashes a lot of the um, like refutations against the resurrection, such as like, okay. oh, this is a legend that built up over time. Okay. Well, legend, legendary legends need, you know, multiple years for them to be embellished. Not this just is not just month. This is, this is, this is, this is something that's known within, I don't know, the researchers that research legends. Uh, they need, they need multiple years to be able to establish a, uh, the legendary embellishment. Okay. This creates something that happened with, can be traced back to within months of the events. Okay. Again, something very, very unique to Christianity. Or if you take something like the biography of, um, uh, like Alexander the Great, for instance, mm-hmm. everybody believes that Alexander the Great lived and, and was in the world, correct? Right. But the first biography of that person was written 400 years after he died. Right. 400. Right. We're talking about a creed that explains something that happened within 18 months, some scholars say. Right. Or at least a couple of years, right? Yeah, at least a couple of years, yeah. So we have crucifixion as a part of this idea that proves that Jesus rose from the dead, which is this idea that, like, he had to die. Like, there's way too much intense stuff that happened to Jesus. We can't say that he didn't die. We also can't say that um, nobody saw him after that. Like there's this whole other piece of evidence where there's all of these people in various places and in various times reporting an encounter with a living, breathing Jesus after he should have been dead, whether that's Mary or the disciples or uh, Paul himself, or then these other 500 people that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, three through eight, like that piece even of itself um, is a key piece to us thinking through like, yeah, people saw him. So cases, crucifixion appearance, and now we're talking about skeptics converted. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. And earlier you kind of made the case for this already. Cause you started to explain how Paul was this person who was out persecuting Christians, right. killing them. you know, uh, in, in acts, Luke reports that Paul, this is the conversion of conversion of Paul in Acts 9, I think it is, yep. talks about how Paul was, Paul, quote unquote, who was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Yeah. So this, this guy was not friendly. Right. He was a fancy, he was well-respected. He had all the things in the world to lose and by becoming a Christian and nothing right. to gain. Yet right. somehow, through the appearance of Jesus Christ um, in his like glorified presence to him, right. he was able kind of convert to Christianity and become probably the most influential apostle on and on on level of the same authority and power as Peter of the right. early church. Right. So it, it's just amazing. So I mean you have that one and then the one as you were going through again going back to that creed in First Corinthians, uh Jesus appeared to James. And this is again to slow play it a little bit, James is the brother of Jesus 
who by no stretch of the imagination was most likely embarrassed of his brother. Yeah. James, yeah. like when he, he, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. James was one of the most devout Jewish men you could, he, he did everything right. I yeah, mean, he was, right. So uh, he even had a, he, James had a nickname. His nickname was The Just. That's how perfect he was. Right. Have you ever, had you ever heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. Back when we preached the book of James. Yeah. We I thought that like, when, I, when I read that, when I learned that one time or at some point, I was like, wow, that's just, that's just super funny. Yeah. That his nickname was The Just. Uh, but it, that just depicts the type of person that he was. So again, somebody to some, some like somebody that had everything to lose by believing mm -hmm. in his brother, only to be convinced by the appearances, mm -hmm. the appearance of a living, breathing, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can't imagine the, the mindset that James is like, wow. You know, they talk about Thomas being a skeptic. I feel like the most skeptical person was probably James. Well, that's because James grew up smelling Jesus's farts in Egypt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like James, like grew up with the guy, right? Like there's an element where, yeah, that's a whole other extra piece for James, but James becomes, I mean, from all ways to read the book of Acts, James really is the one leading the church in Jerusalem. Yeah. And that's amazing because he, he had no, he didn't want anything to do with this person. Right. This person. So, um, uh, and then, so that's it. So like that, those are, those are the two main skeptics that got, con that were converted in this time. And there's no explanation for why that would happen. Right. You know, nobody was expecting a crucifixion. Nobody was expecting Jesus to die. They all thought that he was going to come down, kick some butt, you know, right. clear Rome out. Nope. This guy died. And, and there's a lot of other people that claim to be messiahs that died. So he was just going to be a long list of, uh, in that, but you know, now we've got this resurrection thing to deal with. Mm -hmm. So um, the last thing is going to be the empty tomb, and and you don't need the empty tomb as an argument or right. as, as proof because the first three pretty much do it. Right. Just in case to throw a little cherry on the top for somebody that has questions, you know what? If somebody like, how do we explain the empty tomb? And this one has a little bit of uh, an embarrassment factor, like the other ones do. The skeptics is a little bit of an embarrassment factor for Christianity for the claims of Christianity. What do we mean uh, by embarrassment factor? So to hinge the resurrection, to make the resurrection the central truth of Christianity, again, another unique piece of Christianity is that the whole truth is based on one of the most embarrassing things that anybody could ever make up if they were making something up. Right, okay, I see, right. It's one of the most, why would you make that up? Why would you want to embarrass yourself? You would want to lift your God up in, in some type of, conquering way okay yeah so when it comes to an empty tomb an embarrassment factor would be that the fact that the bible reports uh that the women who have no standing of like really no value of being able to how they weren't allowed to testify in court they yeah. weren't allowed to testify in court because it, it was thought that women were so easily deceived they could never tell the truth even if they had to right so, I mean, we know that that's not the truth now, but right. uh, back then that was, a, that was a big factor for them to be able to report that in the original uh, gospels and their original writings. So that's just one, one piece of like, if we're gonna talk about an empty tomb, you, you would, might wanna send like James, or you might wanna send like anybody that wasn't a woman to kind of report that. Right. But no, they, they do uh, kind of stick to what exactly happened there with the women there. Um, and again, all of these things, the C, the A, the S, and the E, um, address many, many, many of the 
objections against the faith, which would be something like stolen bodies, hallucination theory, um, legendary embellishment, you know, did Jesus actually die? Things like that. If, if, if we're able to kind of take this case acronym and be able to download that into our brain, I think we get a much more uh, meaty understanding of what happened at, at, the, at the resurrection and the surrounding events. Right. And we're not even getting into like, okay, what is the theology of the resurrection? What does that mean? What we're just talking about is this happened and here's how we know it happened. And the reason that we need all four is because a skeptic might say, okay, I can't deny the crucifixion and I can't deny that there were skeptics converted, but I can deny that there was no empty tomb. I can deny that there, you know, there was, nobody did see him or it was just a hallucination or whatever. We need all four because interlocking together, they kind of whack-a-mole down the kind of objections that people will bring to the resurrection happening. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I like, I like to put it like this. When I say that a human being raised from the dead, yeah. the burden of proof is on me 100%, because that's only happened one time in all of history. Right, right. right? So the burden of proof is, is on me to, to present some type of evidence to make, my, make that claim. Now, right. when we make all of the claims of this acronym, then anybody who doesn't agree with that or can't wrap their minds around it, now the burden of proof shifts to them to tell me why any of that doesn't make any sense. Okay. And this is how a good quote unquote argument, actually I'm gonna take the quote unquote off. This is how a good argument happens. Arguments okay. aren't necessarily bad. People provide, pre, people present arguments and then you have to be able to go back and forth and, and, and shift the burden of proof. So I think what I would, what I want people to get out of this message today is that now we have an acronym to present yeah. and, and, and stand up for our burden of proof. When we say that somebody ra was ra raised from the dead. Yeah. That's a huge claim. Cause it's it doesn't claim. happen often. <clears throat> it doesn't happen ever. <laughs> right. So it's only going to, you know, maybe, no, whatever, we won't get into that. But like, yeah, we, the burden of proof is on us. So, I think there's a lot of value to this, the case piece, to even be thinking through. I think what I like about the Remind podcast idea is that we're bringing our minds to the table. We want to be a church that has hearts that are like totally aflame but we also want to have minds that are crystal clear. And if you're a kind of person that says, okay, I could sing 50 songs about the resurrection and it's not going to really move my heart too much. I, I need to have some deep roots and some really clear concepts about what the resurrection means. And that's going to cause them to have a heart of flame, maybe in a, in a different, from a different direction. And, and even more so too, in a season where, and by season, I'm not even, I mean, in an era, in a cultural moment of just remarkable skepticism, it is just so important that we have somewhere rolling around the back of our minds, like, I know why I believe what I believe, which again, gets back to the idea of apologetics. It gets back to the idea of 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a defense of the hope that's within you. We want to have that. And and the idea that what we're celebrating this Easter is more than sentimentality and more than emotion, but that it's actually historically measurable, which is a weird kind of sentence, but it's true. 
Yeah, and I feel like the historically measurable part was probably played more of a role in the early church and for a long thousands of years before the sentimentality and the emotions kind of kicked in. Right, right, right. So I wonder if we just need to remind, like in both senses, like rewire our mind and then remind ourselves of what our roots were. Right. And through the history, through the history of the, the resurrection is where we find our roots. Yeah. Yeah, and this is where we find roots, a place to root ourselves that we don't topple over, but instead we really do have that living hope that Peter talked about. So Zach, this is kind of our first pass at talking about resurrection and how to remind ourselves in that area, but what are some of the other things that we're going to be unpacking as we think about resurrection in the next couple episodes? Yeah, I think diving deeper into a uh, old testament or second temple judaism understanding of like what all of these words like what does resurrection mean you know what were they expecting jesus to do yeah um kind of diving into maybe a little bit why uh peter snapped at jesus a little bit when jesus told him that he was going to die the first time yeah and jesus said, get behind me satan yeah you know why did why did peter say that and why did jesus say that to him and um, I think I think looking back again into history and in the Second Temple Judaism understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to be um, and what resurrection means and you know I think we're going to get an even more clear picture of the resurrection. And then we I want to move us to to talk about how the resurrection of Jesus is really like a massive step forward in the kingdom of God invading Earth, and that's really what makes possible the miraculous, like the miraculous that you see in the book of Acts is almost always, or at least very often in response to the proclamation of the resurrection. And then there are miracles accompanying that. Like even down to, here's something else we need to talk about. I was just saying this to Steph. I think it's in Matthew that it says when Jesus rose from the dead, that other people left their tombs too. Oh yeah. Like, let's talk about that. Like, that's crazy, right? So on the one hand, we're saying, and that's the difference, and we'll talk about this too. Jesus is the only person to have experienced resurrection. Lazarus, those 500 people, they experience resuscitation. Yes. Right? But there's some different quality. It's not just that Jesus comes back to life. Like, it's more than just he started breathing. It's that Jesus is entering into a new quality of life that he would call eternal life or the glorified body that we can talk about too. There's a ton here, so we can explore the heck out of this. But for right now, we want to equip you with this acronym, CASE, and start to get your mind reminded and rewired because we know uh, a mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So thanks for listening to the Remind Podcast. Stay tuned as we continue to unpack the resurrection, which we might need more in this season when we're stuck in our houses and feel like our houses are tombs than we ever have. So thanks, Zach, for like sharing your brain with us, man. It's my pleasure. All right. We'll see you guys next time.